Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here today. Appreciate you coming out. This is the close of our series that we've called Overcome. Uh, for four weeks, we've been looking at how we can overcome our addictions, our depression, our anger, and today we're going to look at overcoming insecurity. Uh, and this message is for everybody who struggles with their identity. Uh, for some of us, uh, our desire is not just to t change something about us. Our desire is to change everything about us because we're just not secure in who we are. We have an inferiority about, uh, who, about us, and we just don't like who we are. I want to help you with that today. Proverbs 3.24 says, Be careful how you think. Uh, be careful what your self-assessment is. Be careful how you define yourself. Be careful how you identify yourself. Because your life is shaped by your thoughts. And I would maintain today that a lot of us are defining ourselves by the wrong definition. And we wind up with the wrong definition of ourselves because we're letting the wrong things define us. Uh, on your notes, uh, the, the first thing is we can let culture define who we are. We let culture define us, and, and culture has it wrong. Uh, culture says that, that if you're good-looking, if you're prosperous, if, you're, if, you're, uh, you know, if you've accomplished something on the outside, well, then you must be an awesome person. Uh, our, our looks define who we are and what our value is. And so when we let culture define us, we can spend a lot of time, energy, and money uh, trying to improve our looks. read this week that the average American woman spends $8 a day on beauty products. Now that comes out to more than $300,000 over a lifetime. I'm just trying to change the way we look. It's like the lady who uh, prayed and asked God she wanted to live another 40 years. And she felt like God was really going to honor that prayer. And so she's going to live another 40 years. She wanted to look her best. And so she got a nose job and a facelift and a tummy tuck and some enhancements and changed her hairdo and her hair color and got a whole new uh, style for her clothes and went all out to change and improve her appearance. And the next day, she got hit by a truck and died. And she's standing before the Lord and she says, Lord, I don't understand. I prayed and asked that you'd let me live another 40 years and I really felt you were going to answer that prayer. And God looked at her and kind of squinted and said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> so you want to be careful. You know, culture says our value is determined by our appearance. The Bible says God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And uh, culture says that your appearance define you, and too often we can buy into that. A culture says that your possessions define you. And men often struggle with this. You know, culture says that if you're wealthy, you're successful, if you've uh, achieved and accumulated the right things, if you've performed, uh, if you've got the big house, the big car, the big boat, the one who dies with the most toys wins. And that's wrong. God says that's not where your value is found. Second mistake, and this one probably hits closer to home for, for most of us, is we let our past define who we are. We live our lives looking in the rearview mirror. We're letting what happened define who we are and who we will be in the future. But we need to recognize that, that the God we serve, God is in no way limited by what happened to you in the past. 
In fact, God wants to cleanse you, free you, heal you from your past. God is a God who offers you a hope and a future. God doesn't define your life by what happened. God defines your life by what could happen. God focuses on your potential, not your past. And yet it's so easy for us to, to let those negative words that have been spoken over us, those negative words that come from people important to you, maybe a parent, a teacher, a coach, classmate, a boss, sometimes even a friend can say things to us that are devastating. And the tragedy is, is that we can let those things define us. We can see ourselves through the lens of the past. It's like it's branded you, scarred you, wounded you so deeply that it's altered how you see yourself. And as long as you see yourself branded by your past, you're not going to make real progress to the future that God has for you. Your New Year's resolutions aren't going to be effective as long as you don't truly understand who you are uh, in Christ. You're going to struggle with insecurity. Now, each week in this series, I've tried to bring us to a root cause of our struggle. Uh, the root cause of our addiction is idolatry. Because what you worship, you serve, and what you serve, you become a slave to. And so we've allowed certain behaviors to take root on the throne of our heart, and actually we worship them as a false god, and we worship them, and we serve them, and we become a slave to them. And God says, no, 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 I want you to put Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. Because when you worship him, you'll serve him, and when you serve him, you become a slave to him, and when you become a slave to Jesus Christ, you find out you're truly free. The root cause of depression is wrong thinking. I'll never change my life until I change the way I think. And I'll never change the way I think until I renew my mind. I've got to purge my mind of the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I've got to replace those lies with the truth of God's word. Root cause of anger is my inward desires. I want what I want, but I can't get it, and it makes me angry. And so I've got to crucify myself. Crucify my flesh, crucify the world, so I can overcome my anger. Today I want to share with you the root cause of our insecurity. I want to, I want to take a, a look here at a couple of verses, starting with Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, Do not think of yourself more highly, circle the word highly, than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, circle the word sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith, circle that phrase, measure of faith, God has given you. And so I want to take a look at each one of these phrases that you have circled and, and just unpack them a little bit. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And the Greek word there for highly, it means that you actually have an improper view of yourself. The word literally means that you're not in your right mind about yourself. You've made a bad self-assessment. And you've bought into an identification, you've bought into a definition of yourself that is not consistent with the truth of how God sees you. And most of us have bought into the brand, into the scar, the wound that has marked our lives as our true identity, or we have bought into the, the mold that the world is trying to press us into. And so we've got an improper view of it, and we're not even in our right mind about who we are. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And the word here for sober judgment is from the same root word uh, for highly, except it's the opposite. This one means that you are in your right mind. You're, when you're sober, you're in your right mind. 
And one of the other places where Scripture uses this word is in the story where Jesus encounters a man who's insane, he's living in a cemetery, he's cutting himself, he's, he's uh, abusing other people, he's just an obscene, uh, mean-spirited person, and Jesus shows up and casts the demons out of him. And the Bible says that after this man's encounter with Jesus Christ, the man is sitting off to the side in his right mind. He's had a tremendous change in how he views himself. And so it might be that, that as we are caught up in this improper definition of who we are, in order to come into our right mind, we might need some deliverance from Jesus. We might need an intervention from Jesus Christ. We might need an encounter with Jesus Christ in order to be freed from the wound, freed from the scar, the brand that locks us into this bad definition of who we are. And so we have to remove the improper view of ourselves and we have to replace it with a right-minded view of ourselves. And it says we do that in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And you might see that phrase measure of faith and think, oh, I have to have enough faith in order for this to happen. It's all about how much faith I have if this is going to take place. And that's not what the term means. The faith here is a faith that comes from the assurance of the relationship that you have with God. It's a faith that God gives us. It's a faith that doesn't come out of ourselves. It's a faith that comes from uh, our relationship with God. You can see yourself as God sees you. Let me give you just an expanded paraphrase of this verse. Don't have an unhealthy view of yourself but rather be set free from the wrong view. There's a deliverance that happens. And let God give you right thinking by being assured of who he is and what he believes about you. My unhealthy view of myself is replaced with with right thinking based on my relationship with God and who he is and who he sees me to be. Because the root cause of my insecurity is I bought into the wrong definition of my identity. And so i got to make a shift to the true, accurate, correct definition of how God actually sees me. Why is this so important? Because you will never be right until you can see right. Because your perspective, your definition of yourself uh, has an amazing influence on how you live your life. And as long as your assessment of yourself is based on culture or it's based on your past, as long as it's based on your own assessment and not God's, then you're never going to be right. And you can work on your resolutions year after year. In fact, they'll probably be the same resolutions year after year until you begin to see yourself as God sees you. Because that's how you overcome insecurity. So the question for today is, okay, how, how do I see myself as God sees me? And to understand that, I want us to look at a passage in the book of Judges uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, The nation of Israel had come out of uh, Egypt. They had moved in and conquered uh, the Holy Land. And they were living there. But unlike the nations around them, they didn't have a king. God was to be their king. But unfortunately, Israel would obey, disobey God and not follow his commands. And when they disobeyed God, God would allow their enemies to rise up and oppress them. 
in order to get their attention, in order to bring them to repentance. And so Israel would disobey God, their enemies would oppress them, then Israel would repent of their sins, they would cry out to God for help, and God would raise up a judge. And the term judge there doesn't mean somebody in robes or the gavel who's making uh, verdicts on stuff. No, the, the word judge here means God would raise up a deliverer. Someone who would deliver them uh, from their oppressors. And then the nation would enjoy a season of peace until <laughs> the next time that they would disobey God, wander away from God. God would raise up an oppressor to discipline them. The people would repent, call out to God for help, and God would raise up another judge, another deliverer. And we see this cycle repeat itself over and over and over in the history of Israel as recorded in the book of Judges. And one of those cycles involved a judge named Gideon. Israelites had disobeyed God, and the Midianites were oppressing the people of Israel. And here's what it says in Judges 6.11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son, Gideon, was thrashing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And you read that verse and you think, this doesn't make any sense. You don't thrash wheat in a wine press. Why, why is this happening? You know, you thrash wheat on a threshing floor. Threshing floor is located up on, on top of a hill. It's up where the wind uh, can blow. Because in the thrashing process, you know, you cut the wheat out of the field, you bring the stalks up to the thrashing floor, you spread them out on there, and then you beat it with a stick. And then you use a thrashing tool to throw all of that stuff up in the air. And the wind blows the stalks and the husk and the chaff and all that stuff blows that all away. And then the wheat falls down. And then you can scoop it up and you can make tortillas and tacos and, you know, all, whatever you want to make out of it. But Gideon is afraid that if he thrashes the wheat up on the high place on the thrashing floor, the Midianites are going to see the dust, they're going to see the shaft blowing around in the wind, they're going to realize that he's up there thrashing wheat, they're going to come up there, beat him up, maybe even kill him and take the wheat. So Gideon is thrashing wheat in the wine press. Now the wine press is not on the high place, in fact the wine press is a pit, it's a vat in the ground where you would crush the grapes and the juice would run down into uh, this vat. So Gideon's in this hole in the ground, in this pit, hiding, doing what he would normally be doing up on uh, the open hilltop. And as you can imagine, it's just not working very well. It's just dusty and dirty and ineffective, and frankly, it's miserable. And what a picture that is of us trying to live life in the pits. We're ineffective, we're miserable, we're oppressed, we're afraid. And notice that when you're living life in the pit, your perspective is all wrong because all, you can't see beyond the walls of the pit. But look how different God's perspective is from Gideon's. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And here's Gideon in this pit covered with dust and dirt and chaff making an ineffective mess out of this thrashing process. And Gideon's looking around and he's thinking, mighty warrior? I don't see one. I'm the only guy in this pit. It's just me hiding in this hole afraid they're going to beat me up. That's what Gideon saw when he looked around. But God saw something in Gideon that Gideon couldn't see in himself. Because Gideon had the wrong perspective. 
And the root of our self-esteem, the root of our identity issues is that we see things from the wrong perspective. You know, Gideon saw the walls. He saw the confines of the pit. Gideon saw the dirt, the dust, the chaff. Gideon saw the flailing attempt at thrashing wheat. God's perspective wasn't in the pit. God's perspective was looking at the big picture. Gideon sees a wimp in a wine press. God sees a mighty warrior. But Gideon didn't get it. He didn't get it. It's like being in church week after week and hearing that God loves you and, and God is for you and Christ died for you and he offers you a, a, a new, eternal, abundant life and he wants to work through you and do great things and you're like, yeah, 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 I don't get it. And it never sinks in. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And Gideon just vents his frustration at God. He says, God, if you're all that, why is all this happening to us? I mean, what happened to the wonders that you're supposed to work on our behalf? You've abandoned us. God doesn't even respond to Gideon's complaints because they're not true. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And God is telling Gideon that God has great things in store for him. But Gideon doesn't get it. He couldn't see it. He's completely insecure. And then he does something that many of us fail to do. He gets really honest with God about what's going on. And so many of us never do that, and so we never get the breakthrough, we never get healed. But Gideon gets real. He confesses to God, God, this really isn't about you. He says, God, I'm not blaming this on you, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon says, I'm the weakest of the weak. And that's how many of us view ourselves. I'm the weakest of the weak. I'm the lamest of the lame. I'm the dumbest of the dumb. I don't have any strength. I don't have any courage. I don't have any ability. We're just hopeless, helpless people trying to eke out a life in the pit. Mighty warrior indeed. We've got to change our perspective. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. See, God is going to be with Gideon. And the fact that God is with you changes your perspective. And we read through the rest of the story here, and we discover that God is going to put uh, Gideon around some other people who recognize Gideon's potential. They recognize him as a mighty warrior. They recognize him as a servant of God. And they make a commitment to him. In fact, they become a mighty army for him. And they deliver the nation of Israel from the Midianites. Because God brings a group of people into Gideon's life. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And the word peace there, it's the Hebrew word shalom. It doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It's not that Gideon and his gang rose up and beat the Midians and now nobody's fighting anymore. No, the word actually means contentment, a deep, heartfelt contentment. 
And for Gideon, maybe for the first time in his life, he can look in the mirror and be okay with what he sees. Because the Lord gave him peace. For the first time, I don't assess uh, myself by my resume. I don't define my life by my grades or by my possessions or by the neighborhood I'm from or by what other people have said about me or, or by the brands and scars and wounds in my past. Because if we're not careful, we will buy into the wrong assessment of who we are and we'll be influenced by the wrong crowd of people. We'll be influenced by the bullies that torment us or we'll be influenced by the people who want to draw us into their orbit and define who we are. And there'll be no peace. There'll be no contentment. But there is nothing like knowing that God doesn't see us in the pit. God redeems us from the pit. God lifts us up out of the pit and gives us a new, true identity in Jesus Christ. And my dream and desire for you today is that you will find that in your life today. Now, for you to have the right identity, to not struggle with inferiority, to overcome your insecurity, three things have to happen. So here they are on your notes. Number one, you have to see God correctly. You have to see God correctly. And, and unfortunately, a lot of us have an awful view of God. Even those of us who are raised in religious environments can have a wrong, a distorted view of God. Oftentimes, we, we see God as harsh and mean and mad at you because the people around you were harsh and mean and mad at you. And there's this never-ending checklist of behaviors that just keeps growing and growing, and no matter what you do, you can never get it right. No matter what you do, it's just never enough. And I'm telling you that for many of us, religion has lied to us. Religion has given us a wrong perspective on God. Because God is not mad at you. Every sin you have ever committed has been paid for by Jesus Christ. That God's not mad at you. That's the whole point of Christmas and Easter. Jesus Christ didn't come to judge or condemn you. Jesus Christ came to save you, to deliver you. He came not because God is mad at you. He came because God is madly in love with you. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. My God is changeless in his love for me. But until you believe that, you can never understand how God truly sees you. Because your relationship with God will be no better, no bigger than your view of God. That's why one of the foundational purposes here at Rockbrook is, is we want you to know God that you will truly see him as he is, that you will understand his great love and care for you, that you will come to understand his plan and purpose for your life. And we are passionate about that. And the way you come to see God correctly is through reading and studying the Bible, through prayer and fasting and through getting around people, getting connected with a small group of people who can see you and who can see God with a right mind and help you do the same thing. God wants you to do life together with other believers because that helps you see God more clearly. And the second thing I must do, I must see myself the way God sees me. I can't let culture define me because culture is lying to me. 
My identity is not found in looks and money and jobs and success. It's not found in power and position and possessions and performance. No, my identity is found in my relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2. Peter describes uh, those who reject Jesus Christ, those who refuse to see Christ for who he is. They refuse to see themselves the way Christ sees them. And Peter says they stumble. They stumble over Christ because they, they don't obey God's word. That's the dilemma that we find ourselves in. Verse 9, I love this. It says, but, and that's, that's become my favorite word in the Bible, but, because throughout the Bible, God tells us the truth about ourselves, and then he offers us an alternative through Jesus Christ. He says, listen, there are people who don't see Christ the right way. There are people who don't obey the word. There are people who stumble over Christ, but, you are not like that. For you have been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You have been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. That's how God sees you. And God sees you that way so that you may show others how God called you out of the darkness. And it's time for us to start believing that. It's time for us to start acting like that. We need to stop cowering in insecurity in the pit of the wine press. We need to stop letting culture define us. We need to stop letting our past define us. You know, don't be a thermometer just reflecting the temperature of the culture. Be a thermostat that sets the culture. Be one who sees God correctly and sees how God sees you and communicates that to other people as you live your life. If I'm going to do that, I've got to do number three. I must get around people who see me the way God sees me. I've got to stay away from people who don't see God's potential in my life. I've got to stay away from those people who are trying to stuff me down into that pit. And I've got to stick around people who see me the way God does. That's why we encourage you to get into a small group. That's why we encourage you to go to Celebrate Recovery and get plugged into a step study because you need that influence in your life. Ladies, that's why as a church we offer a ministry called ReFit. It's our ladies' fitness ministry. And I love ReFit because it, it, it's focused not just on the outward appearance, the outward fitness. No, it includes worship through Christian music. It includes fellowship with other ladies who are like-minded. It includes encouragement from the word and prayer. I mean, yeah, calories are burned and stronger muscles are gained, but those, that's the bonus that comes. Because our ReFit ladies are changing their lives from the inside out. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance, sharpens the identity of his friend. Ladies, if you're interested in refit, getting yourself healthy from the inside out, what a great time of year to do that. And refit meets on Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock. Lori Strong leads that group for us, meeting in the East Building over here. And Saturday morning at 9.30, Kim Zamora leads a group as well. Write this down. Right relationships help us define who we are and what we become. Right relationships, a right relationship with God, a right relationship, a right definition of myself, and a right relationship with other people. That's how, what defines who we are and what we can become. 
And the problem is a bunch of us have a wrong view of God. We have a wrong relationship with God, and it's affecting every area of our life. The, the order of these three things is crucial. It's got to start. You can't see yourself correctly until you see God correctly. And so it starts with that. And today, as we close out this series, I, I just want to pray for every person here who needs to come into a right relationship with God so they can see themselves the way God sees them. And the way you get into that right relationship with God is you receive Jesus Christ. You recognize Jesus Christ as your Savior. You recognize Him as Lord. You put Him on the throne of your heart. You remove those false idols that have taken first place in your life. It's really a very simple act. It's just a matter of praying and, and inviting Christ in to do all that. But it's the most powerful decision you could ever make in your life. And some of you have never made that decision. For some of you, it's the first time you've ever even heard of it. First time you even realized that you could. For some of you, you've been in church your whole life and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And so today's your day. This is your moment to do that. And some of you have surrendered your life in the past, but you've walked away from the Lord or, or you've reclaimed some areas of your life for yourself. You know, we've given our life to Christ at a point and then we reclaimed, we have held on to those addictions and put them on the throne of our heart. And today you need to repent and let those go and surrender to Jesus Christ. Dethrone those idols so you can overcome your addiction. Renew your mind so you can overcome your depression. Crucify yourself so you can overcome your anger. And get a right thinking about God and who you are so you can overcome your insecurity. If that's you, and you'd like to get into that right relationship with Jesus Christ, in just a moment I'm going to pray for you and with you. And so I just would like to know if you'd like to get in on that prayer. And so if you would, just put your hand up. Where we are, just put it up. There you go. Put them up big. Be bold. Be strong. Amen. God, that's wonderful. Let's pray together. Just pray this prayer in your heart. Just say, God, thank you for the way you see me. And God, I thank you that you love me with a changeless love. And so today I receive that love. I receive what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And God, forgive me for going my own way, for holding on to parts of my life. God, today I want to I surrender my life to you. God, help me to see you correctly. Help me to see myself as you see me. And God, help me get around people who love you and love me. God, I thank you for working in each of our lives today. And thank you for the hope that we can overcome. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.